You're listening to The Drums TV Talks. I'm Hannah Bowler. And I'm John McCarthy. In this series, we're going to explore all the new ways that brands can advertise on TV. From the classic ad break to the weirdest branded partnerships you could possibly imagine. We'll be speaking to the top TV exec, media owners and ad tech firms helping to bring about the future of TV. Thanks for listening. Good day, my friend, John McCarthy. How's it going? It is a good day, isn't it? It is good. We're a little bit knackered from the last week hosting the media summit. I'm tired, John. I'm very tired. You should be tired. We uh, ran a pop-up TV channel and it was extraordinary. Extraordinary. It was great. It was very great. We got lots of fun people on some very good panels. And I think we'll see more and more content kind of off the back of it coming out through the site in the kind of coming weeks. Um, So there'll be lots to catch up on if you missed any of it on the actual day. There's my plug. Yeah, it's a good plug. Um, We're literally plugging a video on demand platform through our publisher podcast. Truly multi-channel, but also the future of TV. And one of the best panels, of course, is one of the ones we will be talking about today. Isn't that right? Yeah, it was a very strong panel, actually. We had Vice and we had Channel 4. And we also had um, eBay, who, although turned up slightly late from some very bad London traffic. So for listeners, it will seem like a seamless all-one chat. For people watching, less seamless. Oh, yeah, it's absolutely never seamless. We have to pay someone to remove all the seams. Um, (laughs) But no, it was a really great chat, a really strong panel. And we basically just got really into the weeds of branded content and where it's at at the moment. I think it's been one of those things that for years, brands and broadcasters have wanted to really crack. And it's kind of had lots of different iterations. Now it seems like from our panelists that it's quite in the digital space and actually maybe the big linear big kind of commission, four-part, long-form series is a bit less in demand. And I think a lot of brands want to kind of play it safe and put their show out on a broadcaster's social channel before landing a 9pm ITV primetime slot. Yeah, so like obviously we've spoken about in the past about Netflix doing quite decent partnerships and branded content. In the UK, Channel 4 are probably taking the lead here. It seems to be solving quite a few issues, though. You know, advertisers are struggling to make things that people want to see. Broadcasters are struggling to get content made. You know, the budgets are tightening up over the last few years. Um, two issues could be solved with the one thing, branded content. And it's actually quite hard to make good branded content, isn't it, Anna? Uh, mm. We do a bit of it ourselves at the drum, and uh, it's much harder than just going out yourself and making it, keeping the client happy, making sure everyone's happy and getting it distributed. Yeah, but this panel really gets into how to do it yeah because it's interesting because it's kind of the route in is so varied so it can obviously come from production companies that basically need extra funding so before they take it to a broadcaster they kind of tap up brands and try and get extra money for the the show or it can kind of come from an ad agency who kind of puts together this idea goes to production company and a broadcaster income in that way and often those those are the ones that are sometimes trickier to negotiate because obviously the brand has kind of got its own KPIs that it's looking for with this piece of content that might not necessarily lend itself to the 
best entertainment. Whereas often the production companies, when they kind of come up with an idea, they can kind of reverse engineer it. So that's a kind of different way. Or, or like Channel 4, say, who needs a bit of top-up money can often commission a show and then go out and get extra funding by kind of finding a brand partner who kind of aligns on the values of the show but can like top up that little bit of commissioning budget. So Hannah, that's all fine and well, but is there anything decent being made that we've actually heard of or watched? Surely not. Surely not. Sure. There's a couple of things I like. I'm going to say I was a big Changing Rooms fan as a kid, so Changing Rooms. I might have already said that on this podcast before because apparently I talk about Changing Rooms a lot, which is embarrassing. That is embarrassing. In the brand entertainment space, I thought that ITV did quite a good... It didn't land that well, but I think it's got the makings of something good. Yeah, and I think my favourite example of recent years was a, was it Facebook bringing back Games Master of Channel 4. Is that correct? Yeah, that is correct. Cool. Yeah. And then, obviously, of course, as well, we've got eBay on this podcast and they've resurrected Pimp My Ride, right? That's cool. Yeah, and this is so cool because basically that originated with eBay. eBay wanted to resurrect Pimp My Ride and they went to MTV. I mean, Eve Williams, who's chief marketing officer, she'll explain all. But yeah, so basically that's how that show came about. So they went to MTV and said, do you want to revamp it? This is our idea. And I think before that, MTV hadn't really thought of resurrecting that title, but it kind of came in with a good proposition. So I think that's how that got off the ground, basically. It requires really smart people. And obviously not everyone's lucky enough to have them. Um, I want someone to come and get Robot Wars next. I want Robot Wars back on the TV once more. There's a couple, yeah, because I was thinking, like, do you remember the MTV show Made? Yeah, yeah. That could be a great one. Maybe Indeed comes in, sponsors Made. Or what was the one where it was like celebrities went round, you went round a celebrity's home? That Cribs. Be- that was Cribs. Oh, yeah. Take a bit of MTV Cribs sponsored by, like, Purple Bricks. There you go. A perfect vertical fit in the content. Um, obviously... You have to do it with celebrities. If you go into anyone's one-bedroom house in London, the episode would be very short. <laughs> or maybe that would be quite funny. Especially, as you're saying, most of these branded content partnerships are made bespoke for social media, 90 seconds to a couple of minutes. Maybe you've only got enough time to go around one bedroom. That is literally it. That's literally it, John. Well, should we leave it to the experts to discuss this further rather than... We'll step back from this because actually Cameron Clark, the drums editor, did this session at the media summit. So he was kind of joined with Carsten Mayer, who's senior vice president of commercial advice. And then also David Amadeo, who is head of digital innovation at Four Studios. And Eve Williams, who I said before, is chief marketing officer at eBay UK. I'll leave it to them. Let's do it. See you later, John. David, I want to start with uh, with you and just understand, you know, a little bit about some of the ad-funded partnerships that you've been working on at Channel 4. What have been the sort of key ingredients that have made the best partnerships successful for you? Um, I suppose working with brands who have a clear kind of idea of what they want, what they want to achieve um, and us understanding that is the, is the first ingredient. Um, and then I suppose work, working with the right production companies as well. I mean, we're, we, our commissioning team work with um, 
work with a number of different production companies and indies to make content and the talent we use or if we use real people, then you know, treating, treating brand, branded entertainment exactly the same way that you do any commission, I think, is really key. I think by respecting the viewer and making sure that you're making stuff they really want to watch rather than banging them over the head with lots of products and doing, you know, doing it for the wrong reasons is, is probably the, the first rule of thumb when you're making branded entertainment. Yeah, and, and there's obviously a lot of talk in, in your TV world at the moment about the sort of move from, from linear to digital. Where in your experience are clients gravitating right now? Uh, so, we, I mean, we, we've, we sort of took a conscious choice. I think back into 2020, we, we announced our Future Force strategy. So we're quite proud to be the first broadcaster to say that we want to be a, a digital first broadcaster. Um, part of that was launching for Studio, which is our, our big um, digital social content arm that creates and distributes content across our social channels. And because of that, we're, we're now equipped to make content and work with brilliant indies to make content that we distribute across our social channels. So we're, we're definitely seeing a kind of a leaning from brands towards our social channels. We're still doing stuff on, on linear as well, um, but there's definitely an appetite to, to create digital content um, because it's, can be, you can be slightly more versatile and have more iterations and you're not necessarily at the mercy of a schedule, um, which can be challenging because you kind of only get one, one bite at that. And if it, goes, you know, if it, if it doesn't land, then that, that, that can be an expensive uh, mistake to make. Yeah. Now, I think we're going to be able to have a look at uh, one of the pieces of content that you've worked on with a, a brand. This is a, a campaign, a, a, a project even, that you've worked on with, uh, with Domino. So let's take a look, at, a look at that and then maybe you can talk us through the inception of it, how that all came together. Wanna step out, man, then run. They don't wanna test my flow. No, no. It could be me or cucks. You're the lady, 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 you're the Got the drip drip walking, all bougie looking, QTA gal impress me. Some of them still wearing tracky, thirty thirty, you're all just lacking. You're the lay, you're the lay, who 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 is Kirk? David, that's a little taster of Yodel Rap with uh, with with Dominoes. Tell us a bit about about that project. How did it come about? Where did that project live? So that that that. that project came about because I don't know whether you've seen the, the Domino's Yodel um, copy that they've been running for, for some time now. And there was a brief for us to, to try and bring yodeling into the, the public domain and make it a kind of cultural movement, if you like. Um, so we, we, um, we had to think about how we could do that in an entertaining way. Um, we actually, we, had a, we, had a, we still have a, a, a comedy series that runs across our social channels called Debate. And in that, we we kind of trick the audience. I mean, they know it's not real, but we kind of trick the audience with, with different sketches on a weekly basis. And we've had everything from um, a man who was too good looking to get a job to um, people who are now, this was something that ran last week, who, who now um, are powering their house through, the, through methane gas. Um, and the viewers kind of think some of this stuff's real. So we thought, actually, wouldn't it be quite funny if we got them to think that drill rap was, uh, was, was taken on yodelling? Um, so we, yeah, so we, so we made that uh, with Domino's. Um, and it seemed, it seemed to land really well. I mean, it did, it did incredible numbers. I think we did about 3 million views. Um, engagement levels were, were kind of off the charts. I think we had 40,000 engagements on it. Um, the view time was, I think it was, the completion rate was 75% completion rate. So we made 
a number of different iterations that went out across all of our different social channels. Um, so yeah, it was, it, was, it was a good example of, of really kind of landing something and getting a message across that wasn't just trying to sell the product. Yeah, and just give us a sense, I mean, uh, with a, a, a project like this for Domino's, I mean, do, do they reach out to you? Do you go to them? And how do you then kind of match them up with the right, with the right property when they've said, we want to be in front of Channel 4 audiences? It can happen, it can happen in two, two ways, really. So, so Sometimes we'll have an idea, we'll have a proactive idea that we, we, we really want to make and we think that it's right for a, for a brand. Um, an example of that would be we bought back Games Master quite recently, been off, been off screen for 20 years. We really wanted to remake it, but we, we wanted some brand funding to do that. So we took that to, to uh, Meta and uh, Oculus, uh, what, was, what was Ocular Rift, and that is now called Quest. Um, so that's one way to proactively go out to the market. The other way, which is, which is the main way that we, we, we tend to make um, branded entertainment, is through a brief. So we receive a brief um, from a brand who, who wants to say something. We always like to work with brands who want to say something rather than sell something. Um, then we've got a brilliant strategy team and, and a brilliant content team who then interrogate that brief, ask lots of questions. They're like, they're like a dog with a bone, so they don't, they don't start working on ideas until we really understand what the, what the brand wants. Um, then we work on an idea with our commissioning team. We then brief out indies, um, and then we tend to only brief one, sometimes two, to come back with, with a few ideas, and then we'll pick the best idea, present it back to the brand, and then, and then um, hopefully sign it off and, and make it. Yeah, and, we, and obviously for our viewers at home in the ad industry, I mean, we're going to be explaining to them what the sort of opportunity looks like in this space today. But what about for Channel 4? I mean, is this a route for you to produce content that you might not be able to produce were it not for that, for that advertiser backing? What does this do for Channel 4 as a, a sort of commissioning stream? Really simply put, it allows us to make more content because, we, you know, we, we've got the budget. The commissioning team have the budgets that they have. Um, this gives them more budget to make the things that, you know, that, that they either knew they wanted to make or, or, or actually um, that they can just uh, commission. So, I mean, it, it excites them. It gives them another route, some more money to make brilliant content. Yeah. OK. Uh, David, we'll come back to you. Carson, I want to bring you in at this point. Carson, great to have you with us today, all the way over from, from Amsterdam. Um, Let's look at this from the Vice perspective. You've got this universe of brands, this portfolio of different brands within, uh, within Vice. Um, so same sort of question. You know, you've got a brand that approaches you. They're attracted to the Vice audience. Yeah. Uh, how do you figure out where to put them and what to marry them up with? Yeah, I think it's understanding the brief at first. Uh, and then if you, you know, going back to your question, what do you need? I think it always starts with insights. So really properly understanding, you know, what audiences are looking for, what is currently um, happening in culture, and I think you know the yodel rep. I hadn't seen the example, but what I re really love is that it's actually something that is happening in culture. You know, there's a total crossover in terms of genres, and the example that I brought will also play into that insight. Um, so, um, and then it's also matching uh, the brand up with the right uh, brand that we have. Like we have R29, uh, it's more female-led. Then there is ID, which is our high-end fashion and luxury platform. There's obviously Vice, you know, the, the company's called Vice Media Group, but there's, so there's more, there's Vice World News, again. So matching it with the, the appropriate um, uh, brand that we have, and uh, from there we start ideating and proposing, and, uh, you know, it's a, it's a creative part of, uh, of our job. Uh, the piece we're going to look at from, from Vice is uh, some work you did with Mark Jacobs. Yeah. Uh, just before we show that to the viewers in the room and at home, uh, just give us a little sense of, of how that came about. How did you come to work with... 
Mike Jacobs. What did they approach you looking for? Yeah, so we have like an in-depth relation and a long-standing relationship with Mark Jacobs via ID, so our fashion and luxury label. Um, and Mark Jacobs really wanted to celebrate uh, music in all its shapes and forms and also di- the diversity in music. And it, again, it plays into the insight of the overlap in music genres nowadays. Um, maybe a bit more, a little bit more background on that. It's because of the t- tech that currently is out there. I mean, Spotify allows you to listen to country, to hip-hop, to maybe to yodeling even. Well, maybe that doesn't really happen, but... I mean, and there's crossovers, like there are hip hoppers using country in their new album. Um, And so it's something that both us and Mark Jacobs saw happening. Um, And we wanted to, you know, basically champion that, celebrate it. Uh, And that's uh, how this all came about. Okay, great. Well, I think we can have a a look at that now if if we can get that queued up and we'll um, we'll take a a little sneak peek. Um, So here we go. What does Afropunk sound like? Can I say one thing real quick? Afropunk's not really a music, it's a style. Afropunk is a culture, it's not a music genre. It's just an environment and a culture that everyone gets together and you just, you're free. of the leaves has come forgiveness has not forgiveness forgiveness of the leaves has come and it goes all the way to the sea you see so yes <laughs> so just a little little preview and obviously if um, viewers at home want to check out the full thing, they can do that over at ID, but really interesting. And as you say, another example of advertisers using advertiser-funded content to tap into culture, perhaps in a way that might be a bit trickier for them to do through their own traditional advertising, would that be fair to suggest? Yeah, well, I think for the majority of the brands, that might be a very fair statement. I think for Marc Jacobs, it is different. Like, there is a match, and they're actually playing a role in music culture in everything that they do. Um, so um, the match was very obvious there. I think for FMCG brands, maybe maybe automotive brands, it's, it might be harder, uh, and that's where you you know need creativity and also to enable those brands to play a role in culture by consulting them on how, um, yeah, and 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 therefore they can make impact on, on target audiences. And in your experience, what what are brands looking for? Because culture, obviously, we we kind of get a sense of what that looks like through some of the examples we've seen, these these examples from the sort of music world. Um, But it's also quite a broad term, isn't it? So when you get a brief from Mike Jacobs or or Domino's for that matter, you know, what what typically does that look like? Do they have an idea in their mind of a subculture or a theme that they want to be associated with? Is it more demographic-led? What And what's helpful for you? Because I'm thinking if I'm an advertiser at home and I'm thinking I want to produce some great branded content, also want to create a great brief that's going to yeah. uh, lead you in that path, what, what do you want to see in those briefs? I think um, a clear view of what an advertiser would like to achieve is obviously very important. I think then also an understanding of uh, the audience that you would like to target, and that's pretty difficult nowadays, definitely with younger target demographic. 
because I think, like I also explained for the music, like there's many crossovers. And what you need to do nowadays as an advertiser is basically build your own tribe. And that tribe can consist of many different, um, yeah, how do you say that? Like subgenres and subcultures that become one culture that support your brand because your brand stands behind a certain topic. Yeah. And, you know, that's when, when I talk about that, you pretty, uh, it's pretty easy to land on, uh, you know, uh, doing good or, uh, you, know, um, you know, actually bringing something to the table. Uh, and that's what we feel brands should definitely do. Like you need to contribute. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to hear both of your perspectives on this because one of the things that really interests me about advertiser-funded content is it's a very different dynamic for brands than investing in their own advertising, right? So they obviously have creative involvement to whatever degree you're comfortable for them to have that, but they're not in complete control of their message, uh, maybe not even the media, in quite the same way that they would be when they're running a 30-second, 60-second TV ad or they're producing a piece of print or whatever it's going to be. They're surrendering something that mm-hmm. you know maybe isn't what they're always accustomed to. And you're sacrificing something as well because you're working with a brand. You've got to meet their commercial expectations. So how do you get that balance where... You're giving them what they're looking for, but you're not compromising your editorial integrity in the process. David, maybe we'll come to you first, then we can get Carsten's take on this as well. Yeah, I mean, look, we, we, it's fair to say we get some really bad briefs sometimes. Um, we spent actually a couple of days last, last week, we took, took a whole load of agency folk away and talked about briefing, how we can improve for the whole market for brand and entertainment. I think it's really important. And I think the briefs that you get that are open and clear and concise are the best ones and they, they allow that trust to be, to be given to the publisher to, to you know, develop a really strong idea. I think the briefs that are really bad are the ones that say, I want to do this, this, this and this and this and this and this is a big long list of all these kind of KPIs I want to hit and you sort of think, well, go and make an ad and we'll put it in our ad break and that, that will deliver. So I think the, the way you get that balance is by having real trust on both sides so that so the, the brand has to trust the publisher to, to know its audience because that's why they came to you, you know that's why they go to vice or channel four or lad Bible or whoever in the first place because they have that audience and they can speak to them authentically i think you then have to obviously still deliver on some kpis because they're paying for it and yeah. they're going to want they're going to want to li- deliver but you have to always respect the viewer because if you make some really crap content <laughs> they're not going to watch it through to the end anyway so what's what's the point and yeah. i think we do see we see some stuff on other platforms sometimes that, you know, get, obviously gets signed off, gets made, and people are probably patting themselves on the back because it's uh, delivered on this bit. But you look at some of the, the view times and you think, was it, was it really worth making that piece? Could that have just been an ad with loads of product in it? And that yeah. would have done that, that job for them. Yeah. What's, what's your uh, feel on this, Carsten? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much aligned with, uh, with David. And I think there's three words here. It's educating the client. And then it's uh, enabling culture or young people or whatever it is that you want to enable to actually thrive. And um, um, so that's wait, <laughs> educating, enabling, and I think also yeah, celebrating the culture that is there. Um, but you first need to educate the client on really understanding what it is that they would like to achieve and also who it is that they are trying to target and why they are going to make an impact and how they can do that. Yeah. Yeah. Now, is this a route that is open to all brands? I mean, we've, we've seen some uh, diversity here already from Mike Jacobs to, you know, high fashion to, to Domino's, you know, fast food. We um, 
also, if, if, if Eve joins us, you know, we'll be able to look at the example of eBay partnering with, with Pimp My Ride. You know, real diversity in sort of clients here. But are there any uh, markets, are there any sort of segments of the market that, you know, those clients just wouldn't fit into to branded content? Or does that depend on the media owner? I guess maybe that might have more to do with who you'd be comfortable working with at Vice, right? Who, who mm-hmm. matches up with your brand. So yeah. how, do you, how do you think about that? I think there are definitely brands or organizations that we don't work with. Uh, then again, um, there are many examples also of organizations that you wouldn't expect to work with Vice, but that are actually quite big clients of ours. So for example, European Commission is not a, a, a match that you easily make. Uh, they're actually one of our bigger clients. So we did a program for them highlighting how food get produced and then how it lands on your plate, yeah. right? So uh, again, maybe a, an organization that you wouldn't uh, expect stepping into branded content, but definitely they, they do. There is a blacklist too, like clients that we don't want to work with. I'm not going to... Well, you don't... <laughs> now we have <laughs> out here. We, we, na- naturally, we wouldn't expect you to name no. names. That wouldn't be fair. Could, could you give us an idea of either some sectors that you just will not engage with yeah uh, there are but well it's not it's not that strict I mean we we evaluate every brief and as again I think you know there are surprising ways in which you can work with specific brands or organizations so it's like a yeah case by case evaluation that you that we have yeah and and David obviously uh, in the TV space you're, you're very tightly regulated so there are some companies that even if you wanted to you wouldn't necessarily be able to work with but um, how do you feel about this? Like for the CMOs sitting at home, thinking if you know, considering whether advertiser-funded content is a viable route to market for them, um, are there any that should just put their budget elsewhere, or do you think most of them could consider this a, a viable route? So, so I, I think I think almost every category. I mean, we've in the short space of time that Four Studios been up and running, just you know, literally two years, we've worked with most categories now, um, and I think there's always a way. There's always a, a way of creating subject matter that works with with a brand, you know, whether it's accountants or IT experts. I mean, you make the IT crowd. You know, it's, there's there's content you can make that's either entertaining, funny, or um, thought provoking about most subjects if you put your mind to it and get your creative juices going. So, I don't think there's any categories that you shouldn't that shouldn't consider brand entertainment as long as they're going into it for the right reasons. So, as long as they're they're trying to say something or get engagement with an audience. Um, so I think that's more that's the more important bit than than necessarily the the category. But obviously, yeah, we are governed by the the BCAP code on TV. We're actually not on on our digital platforms, but we choose to bring that regulation over. So we actually self-govern um, by the BCAP code there as well, which which kind of keeps us honest as well, and it keeps us creative. Because is means- that about protecting your brand as well? Because naturally we in media might understand the distinction between the regulation on TV and online, but to audiences, they're going to see Channel 4, right, wherever you happen yeah. to, to, to exist. Yeah, and I, th- I think, again, yeah, it's, it's, you know, that that audience doesn't necessarily, a younger audience doesn't necessarily differentiate between Channel 4 on our YouTube channel versus Channel 4 on a linear channel. They might not even know what a linear channel is, you know, at a certain age demographic. So, yeah. so we, yeah, we think putting those, that, that regulation in place on ourselves is, is, is really important. And, it means that we don't have, you know, undue prominence of, of brands, even in branded content, and we we make sure that the decisions are to put the brand and the products in there are editorially justified to, to the viewer, and that means they tend to watch it for longer because, again, it's not it's not making them go, and you know, and, and it feel like an ad. So I think that's a positive thing. Yeah, and on that note, I mean, 
how do we measure advertiser-funded content? I know there's not a single solution. Clients are looking for different things in different environments, but I suppose they have in their mind a method, you know, a tried and trusted, and some say, you know, at times questionable, because uh, there is some skepticism around how to measure uh, some forms of, of media, some forms of advertising. There's a lot going on in the TV measurement space, as we've already heard um, here at Media Summit. But they have their, their ways of doing that that they've done for a long time. Now, this is a newer a newer form of advertising for many clients. It might, might have been around since the birth of TV, but it's never been this sophisticated. So how do you arrive at the right KPIs for clients? I think, Karsten, you'd suggested that sometimes they come with a sort of very preconceived idea of Correct. what they want to achieve. Yeah. But how do you sort of mutually get to the right destination and, and convince them that they're getting the value in this, yeah. this investment? Again, I think uh, it's a matter of education and, and an open dialogue with your client and what you expect in terms of the KPIs. I mean, reach as a KPI is very old-fashioned, I feel, because if you have budget, you can reach basically anyone on this planet right now. Mm. Um, I could as a person, given I would have the budget. Um, but, I mean, so that's not an important KPI. It definitely could be, you know, uh, view-through rates. It can be something. But also, um, my most uh, the, the campaigns that I'm most proud of, when you look at YouTube comments, for example... Uh, Another thing that I wanted to say about the younger target demographic, like they have a bullshit detector that is like really, really strong. They know when you're bullshitting. And they will also be vocal about it in YouTube comments, in comments on social media, etc. And the campaigns, again, the campaigns that I'm, that I'm most proud of, when I look at the comments, it's, uh, I, I did this campaign for Booking.com, and one of the comments was, well, this is how you do advertising without shoving it in my face. It's very explicit, so I'm sorry for that. But yeah, the content was just really good. Um, and it showed. So um, that is also definitely something that we, um, you know, take into account. And aside from that, obviously, we have insights department. In the insights department, we work with research uh, agencies to evaluate and evaluate all our campaigns. And David, I guess people are drawn to Channel 4 because you have some huge audiences, uh, not just on TV, but across social and and digital platforms as well. Um, But... Obviously, it's a bit more nuanced than that, isn't it? It's not just a case that you can guarantee a, a, a big audience. The content has to be right, as we've already heard today. So, um, again, can you just give us an insight into how you negotiate that, that sort of practice with, with, with your advertising clients? In terms of measuring the success. In terms of measuring the success. The success. So they, they know it's working, right? Yeah, so, so I think, yeah, I think, I think you know, views through rates are just a really, if, if it's on the digital platform, you can see whether something's successful because people are watching it to, to the ends. That's that's the first thing. We use third-party insight businesses to you know for, for sort of decent-sized campaigns to to measure um, the success. But I think the the beauty of obviously when it's on linear, you look at the overnights. You can go right, okay, that's been watched, and this, you know take um, uh, changing rooms with with Dulux that we bought back recently. It's doing good numbers, so you know you know that's success, and people are talking about it. Um, but I think on social, what's brilliant about social is is the comments and you know and and the clients love that and you know we we did a we did a recent piece with Maltesers around women's maternal health and Maltesers had credibility in that space you know they they'd been they've been in that space for a long time and and we created a platform for 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 mums returning to work to talk about the highs and the lows and you know the the, the emotional side of returning to work and the guilt and the the leaking nipples and all, all the kind of warts and all comments and, and we got that debate going and I think that when you when you see that happening and blowing up online, you, you know that the the campaign has landed and, and it's a real success. And and then if you can back that up with sales, all the better. But if you're trying to align, if the if the 
the brief there is to align that brand with, with this area, then you know you've done it. That's, yeah. that's the main success metric. Can, can I add one thing to it? I think um, also the place in the entire ecosystem for branded or sponsored content is becoming a very important element of how we work with clients and how they brief us. So more and more they understand that actually their brand is a publisher in itself. They are a publisher and they need also to behave as a publisher. Yeah. And then, you know, that branded content piece that they make with us, that's part of a big, bigger ecosystem that they are developing. And definitely with, you know, digital now being everywhere, and I loved what the CMO of MasterCard said, like there's 24 new tech solutions arising now that will change how we interact, uh, not only with what we do every day, but also with brands. That's definitely true. And, you know, understanding all the possibilities that are out there creating a strategy amongst all those tech solutions that are there, all those publishers that are there, all the choices that you have to make. But let's, let's be honest, it's quite scattered nowadays, all the choices that you can make. And, and working on a strategy and then just holding on to that strategy and executing it. That's, a, that's something that brands involve us in uh, more and more. And why uh, do they do that? Because we are a publisher and we, you know, we publish every day a lot of content across all of our digital channels of, on our TV platform everywhere. And we are masters. <laughs> we, are very, we became very good at building those strategies. Yeah. And brands now see that they need to build those strategies too. And again, I, branded content, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Uh, go ahead. No, no, you finish. Yeah, but branded content has a uh, place in, in that strategy. But there's more. You build an ecosystem around it. Guys, it's, it's a fascinating subject. I'm afraid we've been beaten by time, as has... Eve, who is somewhere in a taxi in London, gridlocked. And when she gets here, we're going to get Eve upstairs. We'll record with Eve and you'll be able to watch that. Thank you so much for being with us. And thank you for watching along at home. Well, that was great fun. And just an example of what you can catch from the Media Summit, most of which will be online on video demand uh, at the Drums TV section. Uh, Not to be confused with the Future of TV section confuses us that's okay but the podcast is not finished uh, next up we have e volumes from ebay and it was a really great if brief chat that we encourage you to stick around for thank you uh, so we just heard some amazing insights from david amodio from channel four and carsten mayer from vice and we were going to be joined during that session by eve williams the uk cmo at ebay now unfortunately this is london this is rush hour Eve got stuck in some terrible traffic, but she's joined us now, and we're going to hear her perspective on this topic coming right up. Hello, I'm Cameron Clark, editor of The Drum, and I'm joined by Eve Williams, the UK Chief Marketing Officer for eBay. I'm going to have a little chat about advertiser-funded content, because this is an area that you've been moving towards at eBay. So Eve, can you just tell us a little bit about what's interesting to you in this space? How does this fit into your marketing mix? Um, so firstly, thanks for inviting me to chat about it. Um, I think that ad-funded content, like it sounds very technical, and actually what you're doing is you're figuring out, as we do every single day, how are you going to produce a piece of content that a customer or a consumer is going to want to watch yours over someone else's? And actually, what ad-funded content gives you this amazing opportunity to do is find like incredible content that they are going to want to, they are going to enjoy, and a way to weave your brand into it authentically. And I always ask the question of like, why is a consumer gonna watch something? And are they really gonna watch something about eBay that we make for ourselves and we just like trying to wave a flag, say, come over here and watch it with us? Whereas actually, if there is a way that we can be part of something that we know that they're gonna love, 
is that not the only better way to um, to engage with them in a more authentic way? And one example of that is we have the revival of Pimp My Ride uh, thanks to eBay. So yeah. you brought that series back along with MTV and you were very clear that you didn't just want to work with MTV on anything, you wanted to work with them specifically to bring back Pimp My Ride. Why was, why was that? Uh, 100%. Um, so the kind of car enthusiast market is a massive audience for eBay and we know that, again, we need to figure out ways that we can reach that audience and do that with content that they're going to enjoy and if they're confronted by two different things that they could watch that we want them to like choose a thing that's going to be the most entertaining most engaging and ebay's going to fit on it and we had so many conversations about how are we going to do that how are we going to kind of show up in that audience and actually we knew that there is so much love for pick my ride and i think that there are very few people that like remember it that, that don't look back on it so fondly uh, to the day to exhibit and like just what it used to be and so we thought that actually speaking to MTV would not only have the benefit of bringing back an amazing series of that that we knew that people would be interested in but MTV produce incredible content and so we could work with them and rely on them to make sure that it was going to be something consumers would want to watch rather than something that we just want to make and then hope that people are going to watch. And how do you measure the success of something like your investment in Fit My Right? Because it's obviously very different making a TV program yeah. uh, from making a 30 or 60 second TV commercial. Yeah. So how do you judge whether that investment has paid off? So I think there is, um, as with everything in marketing, like there's an art and a science to it and you don't do that piece of content and nothing else around it. And so our team worked incredibly hard to make sure that if you were watching that piece of content or watching one of the episodes there was then other content that could show up with like tips on how to like fix parts of your car that um the crew from red studios would show you how to do that would then take you onto site like there was experiences that would um kind of link up those episodes and so we look at a lot from like are people engaging with content are people watching it because people are watching it they're enjoying it and if they're enjoying it they're likely to be thinking about us more and a 15 minute episode of um, eBay and Pimp My Ride with MTV, like that's worth so much more than just a 30 second ad that they might see amongst 10 other things. And so we will measure it based on like how many people are watching it, the engagement, by people talking about it, by the buzz, by are the audience talking about it, or we getting word of mouth from it. Um, we look at all the things that others will look at, like how likely are we, the audience, to be considering us. But then we'll also be looking at is it is demand increasing in certain um, categories for it? How is it changing people's likelihood to come to us over other competitors? So all sorts, but um, above all else, sometimes you just have to take risk and you have to do some stuff because you don't know how it will pay off. Like we did a piece of work with Love Island on ITV and you have to take a leap of faith that it's going to have a kind of an impact and the audience is going to love it. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Um, but I think on Pit My Ride, we'll be really pleased with the results. And Love Island, this was a partnership that got lots of attention because it was all about reusing the fashion on the show, right? Yeah. It wasn't about, uh, it was about reframing fast fashion and, and using eBay to do that. So just tell us a little bit about what you actually did and again, how that came about with ITV. Um, so I think, again, we, like, fashion is a big audience. Like, we know that we've, like, our heritage is in pre-love fashion. We know that customers come to us and think of eBay as a place for pre-love fashion, but it's not always been seen as the coolest one. And we know that there's also a conversation changing at the moment around fast, around fast fashion and around 
actually the role that pre-love fashion can play. And so that was about, I was thinking about how do we, how do we surprise people? How do we reframe that conversation? And how do we, what kind of like, what are the cultural phenomenons that exist that are a really important part of fashion culture? And how do we, again, do something that surprises people and kind of helps them think twice? And so, again, that was one where we approached ITV about the conversation on, like, was this something that they would want to partner with us on? Because if we were going to do it, it needed to be really embedded through it. I think that's the thing with any kind of partnership and ad-funded content, content or sponsorship or partnership, whatever shape it comes, it needs to be authentically woven in. And so we couldn't go into that without them being fully signed up to say that they cared about Prula fashion as well and I think that that's hopefully come through in what we've seen and that's hopefully like consumers have started to think differently and again we've seen incredible changes, like incredible improvements in search Prula fashion and ASOP and eBay and incredible changes in um, demand on site and so it all points in the right direction but um, yeah there's, there's a lot more to be done but I think um, Love Island is perfectly trying to do that. Eddie, just one last question before we let you go. Obviously, right now, marketers are looking very closely at the budget. There's so much discourse in the industry about what's going to happen to marketing spend, where people are going to continue to invest, if they are going to continue to invest. How are you approaching that challenge at eBay? For instance, advertiser-funded content, is that something that going into 2023, you will continue to see as a significant part of your marketing arsenal? What are you sort of weighing up to make those judgments? Um, I absolutely hope so. And our intention at the moment is that I definitely will do because, as you say, we've all got to be making trade-offs every day to figure out what is the, what are the things that have an impact, what are the things that we think is going to give us a return. And when I say return, it's going to make people think about the brand more and think about us as a place that they're going to go and buy something or sell something. Um, but I think what ad-funded TV can do, if you do it well, is it like it shortcuts so many other things. It Yes, there might not be like an easy ROI you can find, but it is a way to be engaging with that audience with incredible content. And like, let's be honest, our audiences are just consuming content every single day, day in, day out. And so, I mean, we all talk about it constantly, but it's a bit of a like a fight to see who can get their eyes in front of that content. And actually, I think doing it with the people that make content best, who are the TV producers, um, is one of the most powerful ways to do it. Amazing. Thanks so much for your views. Thank you so much for listening to The Drums TV Talks. We're available on all good podcast providers and even a devoted audio hub on thedrum.com, which I hope you visit every single day. Please and thank you. Don't forget to subscribe.